Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Louise Greenwood, um, Director of Education at Wessex LMCs, and I'm talking to Jane Table. Hi, Jane. Hi, Louise. Um, so Jane's one of our practice manager supporters and also a very experienced practice manager. And we were running one of our bite-sized sessions on delegation and organisation recently, which Jane led. And some interesting things came up, Jane, didn't they? They did indeed, all around, um, a lot of it around sort of organisational um, structure for the practice, really, wasn't it? Mm. And we started talking about non the non-clinical workforce and actually how it's easy to sort of um, not look critically at that group of staff um, until something happens like you can't recruit. Um, and actually, it might always be worth looking with fresh eyes um, at this particular group of staff. And some good ideas were shared at the um, webinar that I thought we might kick off with, yep. Jane. So I think one of the teams that was mentioned was a correspondence team, which I don't think you or I had heard of before. Do you remember a bit about that one? I do, yes. It was quite interesting, wasn't it? And I think it was a um, a surgery or a practice, shall we say, who has more than one site. Um, so I think what they'd done was look at how they could best manage any correspondence in and any correspondence out, really. Um, and, you know, many of us probably have things like data input clerks dealing with um, coding letters that come in. Um, and uh, medical secretaries sending letters out, uh, summarizers, uh, all sorts of, of bits. And I think they probably had these people in each site. I can't remember how many sites they had. Um, so they looked at putting one team together to handle it all, um, obviously with the advantages of um, cover, uh, cross cover, lots of people knowing how to handle the different things. Um, and it's, it seems to be working well, I think. So you've worked um, with a practice or a PCN that are across many sites. I mean, do you think with the pandemic and people remote working, there's going to be more people staying where they are and work doing work for each individual site rather than people just sitting in one area or traveling down the road to one area, do, do you, to a different branch? Do you think all that's going to change? Yes, I think it probably is because uh, the pandemic, you know, as with a lot of things, I think, it's accelerated the change. Um, and, you know, if you think about things, even if you're a one-site uh, practice or you're multi-site, um, you might have prescription clerks, you'll have receptionists, you'll have um, data input, these different areas, medical secretaries, all the different roles. But actually, if you combine teams, you've got a better coverage. And everything, uh, as far as I can see in the majority of places, is, is not dependent on, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Not dependent on seeing somebody physically and talking to them anymore. Um, a lot of us are in bigger units anyway, where there's more than one floor. Um, so you're not dependent on the GPs going and talking and bringing a piece of paper. It's all being done task orientated or emails, etc. So actually, you can be based anywhere, including, as we found out lots of times with various things, um, at home. Um, so... In the past, you've had sort of the medical secretaries and you've had sort of receptionists separately, and then you've sort of perhaps got workflow staff doing that um, that side of it. 
do you think it's important everybody has a chance to do everything so they experience what it's like from the other side or do you think that actually is messy i think it varies and this is mm. where you've got to know your your practice um your partners gps the sort of structure that that might work for you i think if you're in a in a quite a small practice um then and on one site and say you know five thousand patients that sort of size i'm thinking um i think the staff have to multitask and do various tasks and receptionists may be doing um, some data input and doing prescriptions and doing things etc as well because you in the larger surgeries you will find those tasks spit out a bit more ideally in my view um, uh, certainly things like say prescriptions um, that I think that's such an important area doing the repeat prescriptions I don't like I say this is a personal view I don't like them being um, dealt with by receptionists in the between doing other jobs and that sort of thing. So I think it's quite an important task. Um, but also, likewise, like we said, with all this correspondence, there is a multitude, you know, most of it's emails or um, e-consults or letters coming in and the workflow, etc., and referrals going out. There, there must be a, a good way and I can see of putting that together and people can cover each other then and learn different tasks and perhaps that makes their role more interesting as well but it doesn't suit everybody some want to do just the one they thing they do and they don't don't really want to move mm. to anything else so and that's the skill isn't it of managing it is motivating the staff and making the best out of it and, that, and that's tricky but I think if, if if everybody's doing a little bit of everything, I can see what you said about prescriptions and you just got to be really careful. Some work need, really needs a lot of concentration. But at least you don't get a hierarchy of anybody thinking they're more superior than anybody else because they're not having Absolutely. to do the job. Whatever. So my old practice, it was like, we, we don't want to be on the phones. Can we promote it away from the phones? It was always sort of one of the things. And I, and I think... As we said, sometimes, you know, well, I can go and work in the back office to be away from um, and, and where you're sitting and where you're, um, if you're on the upper floor or the lower floor. And there's all sorts of things that, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's tricky, isn't it? And titles, yeah. I think that's another thing that's come up recently, isn't it? Yeah it's, yeah, it's a very tricky one, isn't it? Titles and, you know, is somebody more important than anybody else in the surgery? Uh I think Personally, one of the I'm not quite sure they are, but um, in fact, in my view, the most the trickiest, most difficult job is the receptionist role okay. in a practice. Um, I have done it in the past, very many, many years ago. Um, I wouldn't do it again. Um, I wouldn't want to be going and doing that. It's certainly, um, yeah, just nothing I, I would want to be doing. I think it's they have a really tough time, but... I don't think my, again, my personal view is I think all roles in the practice, unless you've got a responsibility for staff or an extra thing, I think they're all equal, really, mm. equal difficulty. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I know we were talking to, um, to Nikki um, at the Practice Manager Conference about she was struggling to recruit a receptionist because actually, as you say, it's a very, very tough job, mm. particularly now, actually, because one of the things that I also have been a receptionist that you like to see was the little old lady coming in weekly yeah. to drop their prescription request off. And you'd have a little chat because they'd have a little shopping trolley with them or maybe their dog. And, and you would just see how they were. And it was just a nice, nice yeah. social thing yeah. to 
And of course, a lot of that's been taken away through, through the pandemic, hasn't it? So I think that's made things extra hard. Um, I think it has for, for both the receptionists and the patients, really, because yes. we know there are a lot of those patients who, um, I mean, possibly they're getting some of that now from the pharmacy. But then I think the pharmacies have turned to delivering more prescriptions, etc. So they probably don't go out to get any of that anymore, which is a, a shame in some ways. But um, so Nikki was talking about they went out to recept to advertise for receptionists. They had, I think, five um, people reply to the job and they none of them were employable. They called them, I think they called them patient services coordinators and they had 30 apply, exactly mm. the same job, exactly the same money. And they got a number of very, very good applicants and they're completely delighted with them. So, I mean, has that been your experience? And do you think that's the way we're going? We need to look more carefully at the title of roles. I, I think looking carefully at the title, I mean, that was a really interesting um, feedback on that one. Um, I've certainly been uh, kicked something off asking the receptionists, um, would they like to be called something different? And what, what are their suggestions? Um, mm -hmm. And I know I'm pretty certain somebody else on that session we did was talking about um, that they'd renamed um, their receptionists yeah, to patient coordinators or something similar. And the response and the reaction of patients towards them had changed uh, and their attitude. Um, and that could be perhaps why people aren't applying for receptionist roles, because mm. what you see, you know, the, the thing about the dragon receptionist and not letting you in. And obviously, as we know, there have been so many um, incorrect and awful stories about, well, GPs just aren't seeing anybody anymore. Um, and that receptionists, you know, are a role in that turning people away. Mm. which actually I think the change of name can show that, no, they're about facilitating patients to see GPs, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, and, and the very uh, many others that we're now bringing into the roles through the PCN. So, so talk about thinking about sort of structure and titles. I know that you've got a, a marvellous chart that we'll share alongside this podcast. Um, management structures, because I, I noticed that one of the new roles has come through is operations manager, patient services manager. Um, and I know um, you've got you know, you've had an experience in, in your various practices of different managers. So what does a patient services manager do and what does an operations manager do? <laughs> um, for, for us and the way we've looked at it, the operations manager nowadays is, for those of you who've been around a while like I have, it's more about what a practice manager was doing probably 15, 20 years ago in some areas, perhaps less, perhaps more, depending on where you were. So almost what it says on the tin, operational. So managing the practice in an operational way. So the day-to-day, -day, what's going on, the rotors, sorting out, et cetera, which leaves the practice manager or business manager or whatever that, that title is now to be um, – well, dealing with the other sides of the business, really, and not doing the rotors and everyday um, bits and pieces. Um, I think like we were discussing something earlier, you know, in the smaller practices, the, the, the practice manager can end up doing anything from crawling under the desk to replay, place um, cables on the computers to um, clearing out the unblocked loose. So, you, you know, if you've, got, if you've got a larger practice and you can have the different roles, obviously, the, this is where they come in. Um, on the example you're talking about, the um, premises, what do we call her again? I've forgotten. Premises. Well, there's, um, there's, 
No, there's not no, no, patient no. services. Yes, I'm interested in what patient services managers do. Um, the patient in that example that we're going to put up, the patient services um, manager was um, actually all those other bits of the surgery that needed to be done to facilitate the patients, if you like. So. Um, not the rotors and the reception bit, but the things about the premises, ordering stock, um, making sure it's clean and tidy, um, notices and notice boards, uh, trying to think what else. So, so anything that you could think might be patient services, Okay, which so is really because we're all in patient services, aren't we? Mm. So it's, it's, it's a bit nebulous, but it's just a different title sounded better than premises and facilities or um, <laughs> something like that so uh, we came up with patient services for that person at that time but so we know at the moment the job of a practice manager can feel quite overwhelming always has done but I think at the moment probably more so than any other time so if you're looking to reorganize and get more um, managers in to help you split the role um Two things. Where would you start, and how do you articulate this to, the, to your partners so you can justify the spend? Because obviously you're asking for extra staff, and they you want them to take responsibility, so they're going to have to pay more money. Yeah, it's always a tricky one. Um, you know, usually what sparks it off. We you talked about recruitment earlier on. You know, it's normally. Uh, or a good place to start is if somebody leaves and you look at, well, actually do, is it a straight replacement? Obviously it's always good practice to actually look at, you know, what do they do? Do we need a straight replacement? Do we do something else? Can we use this more creatively, constructively or whatever the number of hours that are, that are now gone? So that's a good place to start. Um, and then looking at your organization structure. Um, I mean, a bit about that, that bite-sized course we looked at was, um, it started with delegation and also therefore looking at who's got the skills and the will um, to to do various tasks, which again can help you looking at that can help you see if you've got gaps somewhere um, where you might personally need help. Um, you know whether you're struggling. Hopefully um, you're not just struggling alone. You have been talking to your partners um, about the setup. And therefore, just looking at that organization structure and the document you talked about. So that's we're probably all familiar about the organization structure that's drawn like a little map and it's hierarchical or it's vertical or horizontal or whatever ways you fancy ways you want to do it. Um, the other document I'd drawn up was then saying, well, in various areas and I'd use the structured areas that were in at the time in my um, job description was so in those areas, what was I going to do? What would a deputy or assistant or an IMT manager or a premises or patient services manager or whatever, what would they be doing in that area? So that it was quite clear to them, to me and to the partners, what were the different elements of finances or, or mm -hmm. patients or whatever, um, audit, I know there are different bits there, and who would be doing what, about it um, I, think, I think that's the interesting thing the how we've you've set it up is um you've got practice operation development risk management partnership issues patient and community services finance 
HR premises. So a huge number of sections and then under each. So, for example, under HR, you've got strategic management, reviewing staff needs and job specs, and that's with the practice manager. But then we've got um, patient services manager would receive, would make sure all staff receive initial and ongoing health and safety training. So you've been very specific. So I think that's a really interesting way of breaking it down. And as I say, we will share that with people. So once you've done that, because I think there's a a really, it it breaks it down beautifully. How do you then justify the spend? Where are you getting the money from? Because assuming there's no money, that's assuming there's no money. Hopefully somebody's left so you can um, rejig something by doing a team, you know, perhaps by bringing somebody together like the correspondence team we've talked about that might make you feel, well, because they're overlapping, working together, um, we can save a few hours there. The issue is always with this, as, as we know, every practice is so different. The partners are so different. You know, you need to know your own practice, your partners and what, what how you can present it. But, you know, one, not necessarily a tip because it's, um, I would hope most other people are, are on page with me with this, but, you know, never, ever go to them to say, I need this staff or I need that new member of staff without having worked it all out and presenting a, a business case for it, but also the finances alongside it, that what's this going to do to the budget over the year or, or over whatever and with the on cost. And what I often found quite useful, particularly if you were looking for more money, um, because it was a new role, was to then break that down to say, well, this is going to cost each partner after tax relief this much per year. Because, you know, if you're looking at, well, this is a 50 grand increase, actually, if you're breaking that down over 10 partners, say, um, and tax relief, you're coming down to perhaps two and a bit thousand per year for each partner. And that's a lot more palatable than thinking they're spending full 50,000. Yeah. Good partners will see right through you, but you—it's you, just about—it's <laughs> just about how you, you know, knowing your partners and how you present it. Really, I yeah. think. And respect. I think one of the things that I think a lot of practice managers are weak at is arguing for their own salary increase. Absolutely. And yeah. arguing and articulating that well, rather than just sort of saying, I'm, I'm a bit stressed, I'd like some more money. But I think people probably just don't even have the conversation because they're just slightly embarrassed yeah. about it. I suspect they fight hard for their staff, but not for yeah. themselves. So, I, so, But you're good at this, Jane. So come on, tell us how you do it. <laughs> no, I didn't do that either. I didn't fight for myself. <laughs> um, I would always fight for my staff. And I suppose the thing is as well, if you're, if you're saying, oh, well, I'm really stretched and I'm overburdened and I want this somebody to help me and it's going to cost this, you can't then turn around or you feel very difficult to turn around and say, um, oh, but I want some more money as well because I value myself like this. But that's the important bit. You should value yourself, not undervalue. And you need, but you need to be realistic. Um, so it's, it's about striking both ways, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the, there is information out there to help you. Um, you. You may be able to talk to managers local to you um, who may be willing to share what sort of salary range they're on. There's first practice management. There's different places that give you some idea. Um, you can ask your accountants because they're likely, they will know, you know, if they're medical um, type accountants they will do other practices so they will know what's the the range um and 
you know, if you're finding the whole thing very difficult on, on that respect, um, when I would find it difficult because you can get, when you're talking about yourself, you can get quite emotional about it, I think, when you're trying to present that case. So when it was that sort of thing, actually I would do, do a report or a, a business case or whatever and write it and send it to all the partners to read before a meeting. So therefore you can think out what you want to say. Um, you've got it all written down and it's a lot better. It depends. You know, I'm, I'm not good at presenting an off the cuff case if somebody asks me various questions, but if I sit down and work it all out and have it and give it to people in advance like that, then I find that a lot easier. And I think the other way, if you're asking, sorry, Louise, if you're asking for a certain amount of um, increase and you think, you know, well, actually, I think I'm underpaid by 10 grand, say, or something. Um, well, why not do a five-year um, proposal to them to say, well, could we look at a five-year plan where it'll increase so much each year? Um, you know, because you know where you're going. They know what it's going to cost. Okay, it will take you a little bit longer, um, but that, that may be a way of presenting it as well. So it's a question of looking at what you current, perhaps getting out your job description, looking at yeah. what you currently do, look at what's over and above, looking at any, are you looking at the practice finances as well? Do you, is, that, is that important to weigh that up? Because actually you might be the best practice manager in the world, but if whatever circumstances in your practice yeah. might mean you're not generating very much income. So yeah. does, does that, should that put you on the back burner and think, well, I can't possibly ask for any more money? Um, I mean, it probably does, but it shouldn't. And you should still be able to have the conversation with them. And perhaps then it's a question of how you plan. Um, what are we going to do to increase the income over this time? Perhaps they would want to look at some form of, um, like I just said, a structured um, uh, increase, but that that was tied to an increase in the practice income or profitability. Um you know, there are lots of different ways to structure it, but however difficult we find it, if you don't sit and talk to the partners about it, you're not going to get anywhere, are you? Um, and I think the, the, the document that you just talked about that we're going to put up there for people to, to see, looking at the organisation in a different way, that is also helpful in showing the partners, particularly if you're asking about other new members of staff or like a, a, a deputy or an assistant or a PA or something, in showing well, actually, I'm still going to be doing all these tasks here um, and I have responsibility for them, which is the, the thing you're paid for, really. And But these people are going to help do some of these day-to-day -day bits of it. So actually, I can concentrate more. Simple one is finance, isn't it? So somebody's going to do the bookkeeping element and, and do all this invoice and put it in and out and I'm going to sign off. But then I can concentrate on looking at the well, what's actually happening with the profitability and where can we be looking at um, more money, et cetera? Because that's a classic, isn't it? You've got your head down, just trying to do the finances. So you can't look up and think, where can I get some, you know, are there any opportunities for extra income? Um, and is working within a PCN an opportunity to look at sharing staff, looking at different teams, looking at different monies, looking at different responsibilities? That's just... That's, and I know people haven't got a lot of headspace at the moment, but sometimes when you can't recruit, that forces you into looking at different things, doesn't it? So Absolutely. I would think working with separate different practices could really help in that situation. I think if you get on well with the other practices in your PCN, um, then that's ideal. 
because actually, yes, bringing all that together and being um, sharing staff uh, for various things is, is, is ideal. Um, you know, not just about having a perhaps a, an operations manager or a lead or whatever as a PCN um, to pull that together, but looking at IM&T across the PCN or even um, premises or, uh, you know, involving in that facilities and stock ordering um, and drugs. And, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities there, aren't there, for, for bringing things mm-hmm. together. And even what we talked about with this correspondence and different things, you know, it might be um, if you could bring the medical secretaries or the data or the, you know, a lot of, a lot of the PCNs are employing um, pharmacists now. So if you could, if you've got prescription clerks, perhaps you could bring them together handling some of this and working with those pharmacists and doing it. Um, it, it, you know, there, there is a, a very often an economy in the scale, isn't there? And people covering, et cetera. So that could be, could be good. Um, and, and it's just getting your head up and looking at this and planning it and thinking about it. <laughs> it is. And the other thing is just, Technically, so you can't say say you can't um, you can't recruit some receptionists, and you need them to answer the phone and make appointments. So that's all they're doing. And we know receptionists do a thousand other things than that. But if that's what you actually need, somebody to answer the phone, is there an opportunity to encourage people to work from home to do that? Is that is that possible at the moment? Do do there's a there's a technical stuff out there? Is, is the, are the connections safe? Do you know if practices are thinking about that kind of option at the moment? I don't know whether anybody's particularly thinking about that. I think it is possible um, with a lot of the technology. And, well, I know it's possible because I know we've done it in certain instances and answering the phone at home, etc. Whether you want that for receptionists is another matter, really. You know, GPs being at home and answering patients' phone calls and dealing with them is is one thing. I think receptionists doing it is, is another. Um, I think they're more likely to need the support of other people around them in the practice. Um, and I think also, you know, there's a lot of, for want of a better word, security issues and health and safety and employment law, and goodness knows what else that you need to look at around home working. It's not quite as simple as just where you can work from home. Um, particularly when you're handling, you know, confidential data um, on a screen and who might see it, who might walk in, who have you got, you know, there are all sorts of issues, aren't there? So I think that's, I think that's a tricky one. Um, uh, I can still, I think we need to be based in, in the practices. I think it is tricky, but I can see over the next five years and I think it'll be interesting to see, Going forward, I mean, as we've said, with um, IT and things about tasks, they're not all on paper now, and um, yep. some practice coming together, so you're not actually always at the site where you're doing, yep. what you're doing work uh, for. And it'll be perhaps, interesting to see how that evolves, won't it? Yes, absolutely. And p- perhaps as opposed to working at home for a receptionist, it's about setting up um, a telephone exchange hub across the PCN. So mm-hmm. uh, they deal with... And again, you've got the economy and people covering and when it's a bit quieter here or there or so, you know, hopefully they can all work together and they could all take the um, appointment requests and deal with them to GPs. And particularly when they're then dealing with them, putting them into pharmacist clinics or paramedics or first contact practitioners for physiotherapy and musculoskeletal, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would work, obviously, across. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is... Um, 
is going to be an ongoing issue is getting consistency of what does a day look like and I was talking to one of our um, practice managers mm-hmm. who was overseeing a merger of practice and she was just talking to the GPs well what does a typical day look like and of course three different practices had lots of different GPs yeah. working all wanted to work in slightly different ways and I think that's one of the things that we know it will help going forward if we have more consistency so if you mm-hmm. certainly have a group of pool handlers together working it's going to be much easier to routinely but oh i know all doctors do this and they all work from yeah. whatever date or whatever hour to whatever well, hour yes but we that's know that's never happened even in a practice where you might you know be one practice with three or four gps that's never happened that they will all do exactly the same thing is it so i i have my doubts about that um, happening anytime soon louise <laughs> You think there's a pig flying over there? Yes, there's a pig one just gone past my window, yeah. (laughs) We can hope, can't we? Um, Thank you, Jen. That's been really useful. I think we've chatted through some really um, interesting new ideas there. So think about the sort of tips that we're taking away from that is think afresh about all your non-clinical staff. Think about how you want to structure your own job if you're the practice manager or those around you. Don't undervalue yourself Think about your own salary and your own jobs and what what you want to do with your job and what you quite like to delegate. Actually, that's okay. Um, And um, we will certainly share this very interesting um, structure that Jane's got that works out exactly what from every task that's done within the surgery, who does what and where the responsibilities lie. And that might be a good um, a good place to start um, articulating your thoughts um, and um, talking to your partners and um, about where you might want to go. And I think a five-year plan is quite a good idea, Jane. Yeah. So uh, thank you <laughs> very much for that. That's been All really right, useful. Pleasure. Hopefully it will uh, help some people and spark them off to do something different. I'm sure it will. And if it um, and if we need you, Jane, I'm sure we... And Jane Tabor, one of our practice management supporters, I'm sure she'd happily answer I'm any around, questions. Yeah. Come to me if, if you want me to and pass them on to her. So thanks again, Jane, okay, and take care. You. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.